creating cyberspace and welcome to episode 79 of the double Density podcast with your hosts brian and angelo double Density, your home to tech tales and paranormal primers did you like that pause there for dramatic effect yeah you're getting good at that intro uh first things first there are things you need to talk to me about apparently that you could not talk to me about right before we started the show you told me that you were saving it for the show so spill your guts my friend angelo oh it's nothing super important it's just uh I got home and my router was making a hissing sound and it's the hissing sound it makes when it's like downloading a lot or uploading a lot. Wait, your router hisses? It's a known thing with these, this fifth generation of the Apple Airport Extreme routers. There's so wait, like, wait, wait, your, your router sounds like an animal attacking you. It's like an electronic hiss. It's very common. And actually, a few years ago, uh, there was a, a, like a hiss gate with the iPhone 7 uh, where under load, you would hear like a hissing sound of, uh, I guess it's the capacitors inside there making a noise. Like they're just a quick vibration. Anyway, it's totally normal, nothing to worry about, but it just meant that something huge was being uploaded or downloaded. And I was trying to figure out what it was. Um, and it turned out that uh, my wife had shot a lot of video today at work. So that's what it was uploading. And then I got a message from iCloud saying, hey, your iCloud storage is almost full, time to upgrade. So she shot about three or four gigs of video today. And uh, I upgraded my uh, iCloud storage now to the final tier. So the God tier. Yeah, it's uh, two terabytes. So I went from 200 gigabytes, which was uh, enough for like five years. And uh, just because we went over a bit, I had to go from 200 uh, tenfold to two terabytes. And do you think there's going to be another tier in your future? Well, no, there's no more tiers as... uh, uh, Ozzy Osbourne would say. <laughs> uh, wow, that is uh, a great dad joke. Congrats. Uh, so we are recording on October 23rd. And my question to you now is, um, we both live in Canada. It's been a, literally exactly a week since weed like legalization. Have you seen any Mad Max type scenarios occur? No, nothing much at all. Uh, it's actually, well, look, we, we, we both work in Montreal, which isn't exactly a very uh, oppressive city when it comes to that there's like you you kind of smell that anyway so i don't think much has changed no it's or, just a little more open yeah also i'm very out of touch when it comes to this stuff so weed legalization angelo basically means that marijuana and marijuana products containing thc and cbd are legal okay and something was bothering me did i was i correct to say that from 200 gigabytes to 2 terabytes is a tenfold increase yes Okay, good. I just wanted to make sure I didn't get that wrong. The math checks out, my friend. Perfect. Speaking about the math checking out, you cannot wait to discuss the brand new reviews out for the iPhone XR. The uh, XR is being reviewed. The embargo lifted. Uh, It comes out. uh, Well, it's out by the time you hear this podcast. And uh, the reviews are mostly positive. Uh, There's a few little things here and there that people are commenting on, uh, such as the display, which is actually the same resolution in terms of uh, pixels per inch as the iPhone 4 and those phones. So like it's actually a lower resolution uh, of pixels per inch than my iPhone 8 Plus. Same resolution as the iPhone 8 was last year, but the display is pretty good. Apparently it's still, uh, if you've gone from a regular old iPhone to like the iPhone XR, it's exactly the same pretty much. It's only a difference if you go from a 10 or a 10s to the 10R, where you can actually see the difference because it's an OLED display in the new ones and not an LCD like it is in this one. Phil Schiller was recently interviewed in Engadget, and he kind of said that you know it doesn't really matter. At a certain point, it just becomes numbers, and I tend to agree with him, even though he is the marketing director of uh, <laughs> of Apple. But still, it's number nihilism. Well, you can't really see anything of a difference if you're looking at the phone uh, normally. It's like the difference between uh, 1080p and 4K at a really far distance. You can't really tell the difference until you get closer and closer. So it's not a huge, huge difference. It's not like uh, going from uh, non-retina to retina or like when I went from my uh, 2008 iMac to my 5K iMac. At this distance, a 5K screen makes a huge difference over a regular HD monitor. Especially with family photos. Oh, yes, of course. Very much so. Very important. He also went on to answer, uh, well, not really answer, but why the R and why the S? And uh, the quote from the article is, I love cars and things that go fast. And R and S are both letters used to denote sport cars that are really extra special. So basically, he's just saying numbers and letters mean nothing. Pretty much. 
that's it. There's there's no real secret to what these uh, letters are. It's just uh, a mishmash of letters at this point. I wonder what's going to happen to the next iPhone XR. It will be the XRS. Maybe, yeah. Or the 10, I don't really know. <laughs> what's R plus S? Like T, U? I don't know. Why was uh, 6 afraid of 7, Brian? Why was 6 afraid of 7, Angelo? 7, 8, 9. Dad, joke counter up to two for this very fateful episode of our very special Halloween edition of A Double Density. So we have the Engadget review, and then you also wanted to mention John Gruber's review. Yeah, I look, I like John Gruber a lot because he's, a, he's and he's not, people think he's like an Apple fanboy, but he'll call it out. He'll call them out when he needs to call them out. Uh, and he shot some really interesting pictures when it comes to the portrait mode. Now, the 10R only has one camera as opposed to the uh, 10S and S Max, and as well as like the iPhone 8 Plus that I use and the iPhone 10 that came out last year, there's only one camera. And previously, you needed the two cameras to use portrait mode. Now, this one uses the one camera on the 10R. It's actually identical to the wide-angle lens that's used on the, the 10S and S Max, uh, 10S Max. So this thing lets in a lot of light. And using it only as the portrait mode camera, uh, Gruber was able to take really good pictures in low light that are not possible in portrait mode with the 10s or the 10s Max. Now, in regular good lighting, the 10s always wins in terms of how good the pictures are. But in low light, this uh, 10R takes really excellent pictures. But overall, the Pixel 3 takes the best pictures according to everyone. So uh, I'm really curious to know what Google's doing with that one camera to make it so, so good. Yeah, me too. Why don't you crack open uh, your iPhone? Let me know. No. Double density. There's been a lot of uh, news out there about the Pixel 3 having like some wonky hardware issues. Um, but I think overall... It's good. Isn't that the one that where like the pictures aren't saving? Yeah, pictures aren't saving. There's also like this weird ghost notch that appears on the actual side of the phone instead of where the notch is. It's a very strange bug. That seems to be like a software thing. And always keep in mind when big products come out by big companies, people will nitpick them to death. Uh, something like so here, nitpicky thing about the iPhone 10R. Uh, something Rene Ritchie uh, from iMore touched upon, which he always sort of like rags on Samsung for really like inelegant design and bad symmetry. Uh, well, the 10R has the same issues. Uh, go take a look. That lightning port is actually like pushed up or pushed down a bit, depending on how you look at it. So okay. it's no longer flush and equal with the speaker grills. Oh, so like it's a slight displacement. Yeah, it's really weird. It's something that I find odd that Apple do. They're usually pretty good at keeping stuff aligned. Uh, even the symmetry on the 10s uh, is different in that there's only like a smaller there's a smaller number of speaker holes on one side than there are the other because of the antennas they had to put in there. Okay, I think like there's four on one side and seven on the other. Most people will not care. Just like the screen, most people won't care about the screen either. So like overall, this phone's really good. Anyone coming from the old iPhones. Uh, will think it's amazing unless you had like an OLED display, which you won't. You won't be upgrading to this if you had no, last exactly. year's iPhone X. Uh, the camera seems amazing. Um, but like I said, Apple needs to figure out whatever that magic is that Google's doing with that single camera in the Pixel 3 and the Pixel 2, for that matter, because uh, the pictures taken with that thing are really amazing. Yeah, also, no 3D touch. I don't know if you've ever really used 3D touch. You don't have a phone no. that does that, right? No, I have an SE still, uh, so. Most people will miss it. I use it a lot. Uh, but I think Apple can see who uses and who doesn't use 3D Touch based on uh, the metrics they get off these phones. And I think they figured the people who would be buying the 10R wouldn't really care about the uh, 3D Touch. Oh, well, I do think that you are in the minority of people in terms of 3D Touch. So, you know, congrats on using uh, a phone's extra capabilities. And I uh, try my best. I yeah. have to, I have to, like, you know, I have to Full keep mileage. in touch with these things. Full no mileage. pun intended. Oh, my God. Fast and Furious with the bad jokes. <sighs> Three. Three. And the final thing, the 10R has the best battery life of any iPhone that's ever come out, including the big plus phones. 
Battery life is a very, very important uh, dimension to any phone, right? Because I, I was on Facebook last week and someone was looking for an older uh, Samsung battery because their phone was fine. It's just the battery, unfortunately, had died out. And I think that's like a big problem with modernity is just I, I think we've discussed this but the concept of like energy vampires like we're just all energy vampires so I, was, I was on vacation a couple of years ago um and i was at LaGuardia, new york and i was just watching for people search for electrical sockets in order to plug their phones in like it, it, there were multiple people running around the uh airport just looking for a way in which to charge their dying phones weird uh i i don't ever get that problem brian i'm always uh fully topped up with my uh, battery but maybe because i'm a big nerd that has chargers everywhere well i was about to say i think you are more predisposed to being able to charge your phone more easily based on the number of uh, plugs and chargers do you have do you have a battery a battery like what what do you mean oh, oh like the, a the portable the charging yeah. batteries no i don't have one of those okay. i've never felt the need yeah batteries are important and uh i think the iphone 10r would make a poor choice for a horror movie yeah i do you remember back in the day you used to have your like your old Samsung like your brick phones and those used to last forever and ever? Well, yeah, I I had a Samsung for a while. Uh, it was like that green phone, I think it was, uh, and it had like a removable battery, and you could like swap out the batteries if you wanted to. But the batteries lasted forever. It was like you could go two or three days without even worrying about your phone. Yeah, and now it's like you can barely go like a full sort of half day without going down to 50% with all the apps that you're running, with all the texts you're receiving, with all of the Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Tinder, Slack notifications you're getting. Again, I still don't have too much trouble with batteries. Okay. <laughs> well, it turns out that a lot of people do. And by a lot of people, I mean a lot of fictional characters, right? So uh, there's a story you linked me to from The Verge about how uh, the trope of the dying uh, cell phone battery is like prevalent in modern horror movies. And I tend to agree with that. This article's been in our to-do list for a while, and we, we decided to table it until like Halloween was here, because I think it's like the perfect melding of tech and scariness. And horror movies always had the thing where the characters were isolated somehow, but now like you always can get in touch with somebody. They have a cell phone, they have like a smart, uh, a smart watch, uh, they have email, whatever. It's easy to get in touch with people. And you kind of have to neutralize that when it comes to a horror movie, because you don't want easy access to help to the outside world. And this article kind of talks about the different tropes that they're using, they're using the movie Get Out as a uh, example. I haven't seen the movie, and the article doesn't really spoil much about the movie, but apparently the character keeps having his phone unplugged for some reason, as if somebody's trying to make sure his battery dies out soon. Also, he's using a Windows phone, which is bad in and of itself. <laughs> so the one-two punch of, yeah, so... He's I've asking seen... for trouble, Brian. He's asking for trouble. I have seen the movie, and uh, the tr the the part about his cell phone being unplugged does happen continually, and it's a way of yeah. of, of sort of like uh, walling him off from the people that he cares about. Is the movie as good as everybody says it is? I like it a lot. I understand the praise for it. I don't necessarily um, go in all the way the way that other people do about it, but I definitely uh, do enjoy it for what it is. I've seen it twice. Uh, really enjoyed the plot. I do feel like, you know, an example I get out is pretty emblematic of the trope of the dying cell phone. Or my other favorite is like the uh, the the no bars. You're like, you're not near a cell tower, no bars. No bars, car breaks down, uh, need to go get gas at the scary gas station. Uh, person tells you, hey, let's go back to my cabin in the woods. Um, cabin in the Woods was actually a really uh, good movie where it kind of played with every single trope of every single horror movie. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, was there a cell phone that I, I don't remember? I don't remember, but it recently came back on Netflix, and I want to go back and watch it. It's an old movie, because like, Chris Hemsworth is in it pre-Thor, and he looks totally different. And a lot of people have criticisms about it, but I guess it really uh, plays to my old uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer sensibilities, <laughs> and uh, I absolutely love that movie. It was a great movie. Uh, I don't want to spoil too much about it, but also it's another movie with Bradley Whitford in it, right? Oh, yeah. Who's in Get Out. So, uh, oh, he's he, in Get Out. I didn't realize yeah, that. Yeah, he's the dad of the girlfriend in Get Out. Oh, interesting. Yes. So we're forming bonds here on episode 79 of Double Identity. Uh, but yeah, it's funny. Have you ever read the, the, I don't remember if it's like a tweet or some kind of like post, but someone was like listing off how the majority of Seinfeld episodes would have been solved if they had cell phones? Yes, I remember seeing that. And uh, that's totally true. They could have they could have uh, easily called ahead to that Chinese restaurant and made sure their table was reserved. <laughs> exactly. Anything where there's a misunderstanding in any 90s sitcom could have easily been solved with the modern day smartphone. 
Yeah, but I mean, it also uh, creates a larger issue, right? Because you go from a nice to have to your cell phone becoming utility and then like the horror trope of the dying battery or the no signal uh, kind of becomes of paramount importance. And it's also kind of funny because like this didn't exist even 20 years ago, right? The idea that you could understand someone else's pain and helplessness through this um, symbol, I guess, of modernity. Well, it really is. Uh, anything now where somebody pulls out a brick phone or any of those flip phones seems super dated. Like, just look at uh, the example of Zoolander, where the best phones are the ones that just keep getting tinier and tinier and tinier, uh, but they're still all flip phones. Do you know how, like, um, so there's like that classic horror slash, well, it's more so like the thriller um, and uh, slasher kind of trope where the virgin survives the, like, the serial killer? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like in Halloween, et cetera, et cetera? Yes, of course. That's, okay. uh, yeah, that, that's, that's actually discussed in Scream. Right. Okay. Yes, exactly. So I feel like that is the old version and the new version is the person with the uh, extra battery charger on them is going to live. Huh, so the nerd. Yeah, exactly. The nerd is going to survive all of these things, right? Uh, the article also talks about a uh, Stephen King adaptation of a horribly boring book called Cell. I don't know if you read it or saw the movie with uh, John Cusack. So I read it. I didn't find it horribly boring. It was fine. Uh, I did not watch the movie because the movie looked like it was going to be a train wreck. But the whole idea behind that is that your cell phone turns into a zombie, which is, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, ha, ha. Yeah, it's... Uh... <laughs> It's a little heavy. Thin, thinly veiled commentary on modern day society. Exactly. But yeah, a lot of these different films have uh, this kind of like idea that uh, you can sort of equate helplessness literally through a percentage. Yeah. Uh, which is why I've turned off the percentage of my battery indicator because I don't want to see it. It drives me crazy to see it. So you just feel like you, you'd prefer going by like relative feel? Yeah. Yeah. It, it just, you know... Any number sort of stresses me out. I've turned off most uh, badges on my phone as well, so I don't see when there's anything other than like a text message. I don't really care, and I don't want to know uh, if uh, an app has anything to tell me. So I just leave everything. Like I always find it funny that in Overcast, the button to turn on badges is off, and it, underneath it says, if you want to add stress to your life, turn this on. <laughs> I mean, it's a good way of, of putting it because I barely have any badges going on. Yeah, it's it's emails and, sorry, I should specify, non-work emails and uh, text messages. I turn those off too. And then every once in a while, I'll see somebody next to me um, out and about, and they have triple or quadruple digits in their in their email. I don't even know how that's possible for like a regular human. I've seen people who have had that and it drives me crazy. But I don't understand how it's possible. That's the thing. Is it just all spam at that point? It's people because not caring. People just don't care about those numbers the way that we do. It really makes me crazy. Like, uh, we've discussed this before, but my, my Gmail inbox is empty. Always. Yeah, like, we, we try to do inbox zero, you and I, because we're normal people. But I've seen No, we're not normal numbers. people. That's the problem, Brian. We are not normal. We're like the ubermensch of the email world? Go around your office and find out. I'm not out. doing that. I'm not just doing go that. look at everybody's computer. Log into everybody's computer. <laughs> Check I, uh, their email. I look just perusing around my office, and I see people's inboxes. They're all full of unread messages. Oh, I know, I know. And then they come by my desk, and I have a completely empty inbox, and they think I'm not busy. Yeah, I, uh, I'm just very effective in the way that I do it. I love to. When <laughs> We're I, just patting each other on the back. I know exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, getting back to the matter at hand, though, have you seen the 2008 movie The Strangers with Liv Tyler and Scott Speedman? It sounds super familiar, but I don't remember it. Okay, so basically they are a couple who are, they return from an event and it's a wedding and they sort of like, um, there's tension there. The, like the marriage isn't perfect. And then three strangers for no absolute reason, follow them home. And like one of them, uh, one of these strangers steals, uh, their cell phone and like takes out the battery and puts the phone back. So the phone doesn't work. So I thought apart from like watching your, your battery drain to zero, like literally stealing someone's battery is also like a good way of showing their helplessness. Luckily, that's no longer possible because uh, we've had like sealed batteries in phones since uh, the iPhone. That's one of the things Apple did away with and everybody quickly copied them. And now uh, soon 
people in horror movies won't be able to listen to uh, their phones with their headphones because all headphone jacks have been eradicated. Which sucks, but whatever, I'll deal with it. I do feel like the the, the signs and symbology of um, the cell phone as a utility in horror movies as a chance for survival, because the thing is everyone knows what's going to happen to you, right? There's that expectation. If it's a trope, it's kind of expected, right? So as soon as your battery starts dying or, you know, if you've hit a, a no signal, you know, a radius, uh, you know things are going to go bad. Like, it's never good. Yeah. Uh, look, I, would love to see, this... I would love to see a horror movie where, like, this doesn't matter. Well, it would have to take place in, like, the 50s. Either that or like a place where cell towers uh, no longer function, like a post-apocalyptic kind of thing. Yeah, th- and that's pretty much the thing they're doing now is making sure that these movies take place in that type of situation. Uh, I'd be good to have in a horror movie if it came to if it happened in a place where uh, there was cell t- uh, tower coverage and uh, people were out of their battery power. I would always have battery power. So you're electing yourself to be the nerd of the group automatically. Yeah, moral of the story: uh, stick with the nerd in a horror movie. Double density. Welcome back to Double Density, and as we continue onwards and upwards in this fall season, uh, we also want to talk about a parallel running season right now, which is video game season, so we have a bit of video game news this week. The uh, Mary Brothers world record, um, and let me specify, the man-made one, not the tool-assisted bot one, has once again been beaten by some Wes by microseconds, like milliseconds, uh, over Cosmic's recent... Uh, uh, world record claim so uh someone is logging in at 455 796 and so the theoretical best thing uh time that you could achieve on mary brothers right now tool assisted move perfect right and what we talk about we mean tool assisted is that someone programs in all of the moves and then executes it is 454 32 so we're quite close they're they're like becoming athletes at this point with their fingers to make sure that they get to that number it's incredibly impressive when you think about it that this 30-year-old game is still being played and being played in ways that uh, Miyamoto really never intended. N- not in the least. Uh, kind of running parallel to that, I last night spent two hours watching the classic Tetris World Championship. So what, what game are they playing, actually? I realize Tetris, but like which one? NES. Okay, so not the Game Boy one, the NES one. Yes, correct. Yeah, I had that one on my uh, RetroPie, and I played it a while back, and... It's really great. It's the thing with Tetris is it's very cathartic. You could just sit there, uh, get your lines, and then you'll have dreams of falling blocks. Oh, and I should also specify it is the Nintendo version of Tetris, not the Tengen one. Yeah, I figured that's what you meant. Uh, I wasn't playing the Tengen one either. Uh, Nintendo did get it right. Did you ever see that uh, Tetris documentary by uh, the gaming historian? I sure have. What an excellent, excellent documentary! That guy makes amazing YouTube videos. Uh, amazing production values for what's a very small operation and uh, highly recommended go take a look maybe i'll put in the show notes if i remember i can also recommend a great graphic novel by box brown called tetris the games people play which is a great story of how tetris came to be the issues surrounding uh, licensing around the world and uh, its lasting impact on pop culture so yeah so the tetris world champion is now a 16 year old named joseph saley so he beat seven-time winner joseph neubauer uh, and it was an incredible two hours, my friend, because what happens is that they were showing... Wait, they're both named Joseph? Uh, no, uh, yes. Sorry. Jonas. <laughs> Jonas is the winner. Oh, Jonas. Joseph okay. is the runner-up slash seven-time winner. So what had happened is that the uh, official stream was showing the semifinals and then got into the finals. And it was a best of three and then a best of five. And uh, Jonas managed to sweep uh, Joseph by uh, doing uh, winning three games in a row. Brian, are you watching the World Series? No, watching Tetris Championships. Dang right I am. And I figured that's a good way of talking about some video games here uh, on Double Density, keeping that flame alive. Because you obviously are continuing to play your farm and you have your 90-second farm update here with Angelo. Go ahead. Well, I wasn't planning on updating my farm uh, talk tonight, but uh, if you insist, I'm doing pretty well. Upgraded my uh, barn to a deluxe barn. I'm going to have an automatic feeder in there get some uh, more cows and maybe some goats to make some goat milk, maybe some sheep to have some wool. And I'm going to be concentrating on making a more uh, wine with the ancient fruit, Brian. Ancient fruit, pretty amazing. You get like two grand per bottle of wine. I was making the joke today because I don't play a Stardew Valley like you do. Uh, and I was making the joke, does your real family know about your secret family, but there's no way of getting a family in Stardew Valley, right? Yes, there is. I just oh, so don't just, have one. Just I'm, I'm a lone farmer wow. right now. Wow. Okay. That's that's even colder. You don't want a, yeah. a fake family to help you out? I'm courting somebody in the town right now. 
Uh, I'm giving her lots of gems. She's enjoying them. She has purple hair, and she she so she she's like, "Come to my room after eight p.m. tonight." So I went, and uh, you know what she did? She pulled out a Ouija board. <laughs> so, so she like, knows about she, your pursuits. She knows about yeah. Your pursuits. It's funny. Like the girl, my uh, person is like. All right, ninety seconds. It's over. Falling in love with is Last somebody who hangs out in graveyards. Story on the docket here this week on the tech side of things is the way AI is impersonating people is super creepy. So a couple months ago, we started reporting about uh, Google Duplex uh, leaving, allowing people to leave restaurant reservations. And now uh, it seems like it's ready to be in the wild. It's hitting some markets now. And uh, it's just getting get weirder and weirder, right? Well, they're, they're kind of uh, taking the Duplex stuff and using it on uh, the Pixel 3 with the... Uh, call screening we discussed last week. It's a little more robotic, though. You don't think you're talking to a person. And uh, I recently, after recording last week's episode, uh, MKBHD came out as a review of the Pixel 3, and he said that in most of his uh, situations, whenever he used the call screening, the person just hung up. <laughs> so, so not very effective. No, because... it. The, like I, that's, I would do the same thing too. If I called you and your stupid phone started talking to me like a robot, uh, I would just hang up and text you like a normal person. So what you're saying like, is, like, I don't call my for, friends anymore. So I that's the just thing. Text them. In order for people to stop annoying you, just speak like a robot. Oh, that's a great idea. I really like that. Yes, I think this is a good idea. Let's hit enter. Uh, another interesting thing about the Wired article that you sent me called the ick, the the, uh, the ick of AI that. Uh, impersonates humans um is that andy rubin's in there our essential phone man is in there uh, google android creators in there he wants to create a phone ostensibly uh, an essential phone that will try to mimic the user and automatically respond to messages on our behalf so i'm wondering what happened uh with their uh downward trend in financial straits situations brian tell me more and with that we're going to move over to the paranormal section of things What could space be? What could it be made of? What the heck is all those lights out there? Is this just a black curtain with holes in it? I don't know. I'm trying to find out. Double density. Welcome back to Double Density. As always, we are switching gears from tech to the paranormal. The first thing on our docket this week is a post from ufoforum.blogspot.com. So the blog Ufology Research has a Canadian UFO report post 1017. And you pointed out a really interesting one. So I'm going to let you read this. So a witness in Saint-Jean-sur-Richelieu, which is a suburb of Montreal, was awakened by a loud noise. The sound was like that of a drum beating lasting a few seconds. The witness got out of bed, went to the window where a blue light lit up the sky and this, as the sound was heard again. When the noise stopped, the light went out. Uh, Angela, what, co- what is this? So, okay, first of all, this is actually right near where I live, not too far away. I'm near the Richelieu River as well, and uh, a suburb of Montreal. And I've seen this before. It's not aliens. It's Transformers exploding, and not the alien Transformers from the Michael Bay movie. It's just something going wrong. They could be super loud, and they make the blue lights in the sky that go along with the noise. I've seen this once in my life, and it was spectacular to watch because I was at a distance. Yeah, this was in my neighborhood this summer when we had had those like minus 40 degree nights where just nothing was working anymore. There had been a uh, an ice storm, and then it froze. Uh, so it went from like zero to minus 40, and things did not do well in that type of temperature. So what you're saying is that in this instance, the logical explanation is probably the best one and probably uh, what actually happened. Yeah, in this case, it wasn't an ice storm and it wasn't uh, minus 40 below weather, but still, Transformers can explode for many reasons. And oh, this mine is happened in the middle of the summer that I saw, right? So, Oh, okay. So there. Uh, it might have been hit by lightning. Who knows? But the blue light, loud noise, it's, it's pretty much cut and dry. I'm pretty sure it's a Transformer. And with that off of our plates, we get to enter uh, a very special Halloween edition of Double Density. We're going to get creepy, spooky. We're going to talk about a bunch of things that we love. Um, first things first, Angelo, favorite Halloween candy? Oh, boy. Is it you apples? Just... Is it toothbrushes? Apples with razor blades. Uh... <laughs> that common myth, yeah. No, I'm partial to like the Wonder Bar or a Mars Bar. Okay. Okay. Like the bite-sized ones? Yeah. I like chocolates. Um, I think... The first thing to go in my stash, though, is usually peanut butter cups. Oh, those are good ones. Uh, yeah. What do your kids go for? My son does not like chocolates and stuff. 
So uh, he I, loves like Starburst and gummy candies, things like that. My daughter, I, chocolate, caramel, um, peanut butter cups, things like that. And for me, I'm going to go with the crunch bars, like the Nestle crunch bars as well oh, as peanut yes. butter cups, uh, yes. which are great. Uh, what is your, like, do you and your wife like sneak candy away? Like, like I know your, your kids aren't listening, so you can tell me the truth. Yes, of course we do. Okay. Like, we don't want our kids eating all that candy, so no. we do take their candy. Um, and they don't notice because there's so much damn candy everywhere. And in the basement right now, in the storage room, I have like hundreds of uh, little chocolates and candies and stuff because I think I've mentioned this before, but my neighborhood is insane for Halloween. Um, the kids come around from everywhere into my neighborhood because it's very kid-friendly, and the streets are completely full of children walking around getting candies. And you love to participate in this community event. Oh yeah, we do. We all we go for a walk. The it's uh, we go get candy, and I think last year, two or three hundred kids maybe came to my door. Wow. Okay, that's yeah. that's a lot. So we ran out of candy. So you just closed your lights and closed the door. Yeah, this we do. Uh, usually, like we're out of candy by like six forty-five. Whoa. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna be trick or treating outside of my building for the first time this year. Very interested to see how that goes. I'm not sure how much candy I'm gonna buy. Yeah, you're so what like how does it work in your building? So I'm just gonna go out like onto the sidewalk. Okay. And, and like have a jack scary lantern. Man yeah, and like, candy. yeah, uh, my fiance is gonna be joining me, so it'll be like scary man and like pleasant woman. Okay, good. Yeah, smart. Because uh, just exactly. dude and handing out candy, not so cool. Dude and a woman. It's gonna be okay. rap though. It's not gonna be like here's some taffy I made. <laughs> Speaking of yeah. taffy though, do you have like what is your like most hated candy? Okay, well, it's funny. I used to love those taffies. Remember those, like, in the orange and, yeah. Like yeah, the, I used to love those yeah, when no. I was a kid. I, I kind of outgrew them. My daughter Empirically, likes them too. you were wrong. My daughter likes them, too. She likes caramels. Empirically, but, the two of you are wrong. Yeah, it's, you know, genetics. There's that yeah, but, and candy corn. What's candy corn? It's like sweet, like, it's like a sweet little candy that's like, like, ye- uh, white, yellow, and orange. Yeah, no, I've never tried that. Really? I don't think I've had that. Wow, okay. All right, so... Revelations uh, tonight. Candy corn and, uh, and taffy. What about you? I, um... Hard candies I'm not a fan of. Like sour blasters or whatever? Like, like yeah, sour gums? I yeah, I don't... I, I used to like sour stuff, but I don't like... I, like give me chocolate. chocolate. Warheads? You hate warheads? Any, any candy... Like candies. I don't like candies. Fun I, I like uh, chocolates. Okay. Moving things onwards, big thanks to Twitter user Matt Baldwin for suggesting this one. So we had tweeted out, oh, do you guys have any ideas for um, fun Halloween things? And he was saying that perhaps a history of Halloween would be interesting but very long. So I decided to adapt his suggestion into something kind of cool. Uh, And I did a bunch of research. And it's actually kind of really interesting how um, Halloween in Canada has sort of uh, uh, blossomed. And so we're going to do a short history of Halloween in Canada through five dates that matter. I like this. You did a lot of research again this week on this stuff, and I went to the show notes, and there was a whole bunch of cool facts about Halloween in Canada, so I'll let you get started on this. So the funny thing is, as a preamble, is that, uh, you know when you get giddy about something, so I kept finding really cool stuff, and I was like yelling to my fiance, who clearly did not care about all these facts (laughs) after a while, but I I think these are really interesting. So the first one we're getting into is 1786. So Scottish poet Robert Burns has his poem Halloween, and it's the uh, W.E. Apostrophe E-N. So his uh, poem is published. So Burns is still celebrated amongst Canadians of Scottish and other kind of like UK descent as a sort of like um, patron saint. And uh, they use his birthday as a day of celebration. Like they give haggis. Like haggis is served on Robbie Burns Day. And I have had haggis on Robbie Burns Day. Haggis actually looks appealing to me because everybody talks about how it being in a sheep's stomach. But you don't actually eat the stomach. No. If you forget what it is and you have it, it's fine. But do not do people not realize what a sausage is? Because I uh, I, yeah. hate to break it to you folks, but your sausage, it's served in an intestine. Yeah, or a casing. A yeah, well, the casing, casing is intestine. Well, not a plastic casing, but like in, <laughs> yeah, an iPhone know, an casing. edible casing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm going to try to read an excerpt of uh, Robert Good Burns' Good luck, because I could not. I know. Okay, let's, I'm going to get my deep, serious voice in here. You ready? Ready. Then, stot or crooked, yord or neen, they roar and cry a throuter. The very wee things, toddlin' rin, with stocks out o'er the shoulder. And gif the stuckox sweet or sour, with jocked legs they taste them. Sign cosily, aboon the door. We cannot care they've placed him to lie that night. It's hard not to read with an accent. It's like, like a lilt, I know. Yeah. Well, it's, Jesus, it's, it's Mary, and Joseph Bryan. See, 
I, I'm of Scottish descent, so I feel like I can get away with that. Um, with I'm that. not. I'm Italian. You, did you want to try it with an Italian accent? <laughs> it's a me, a Mario. <laughs> uh, that but is I, not the poem at all. But anyways, we're going to link to the full Robert Burns poem. Uh, so we jump from 1786 to 1898. So this is super interesting. Uh, the first recorded instance of children dressing up in disguises for Halloween in North America happened in Vancouver, British Columbia, all the way on the other coast. Uh, that's into the deportal territory. So hey there, Andrew. Hey there, Amber. Uh, it was so noted in a press item from November 2nd, 1898's Vancouver Daily World newspaper. That was news to me. I did not realize the dressing up started uh, in Vancouver. Well, the, the dressing up was like reported like the first time it was reported was out there, right? So it was probably happening before that. Oh, okay. In North America, but like the first time, like this was written down as an instance and like solidified as fact. Look at these crazy kids dressing up. Yeah, exactly. Uh, from eighteen ninety eight, we're gonna go to November fourth, nineteen twenty seven. The first time the term trick or treat was recorded in North America, courtesy of the Lethbridge Herald in Lethbridge, Alberta, uh, and it was done in a news item that described joyous Halloween activities and. Uh, the news item is kind of funny because it mentions like that there were like several like minor complications, but the way that the entire news item was written was like very like happy and cheery. So I guess they were just saying that like there were some wayward youths having a little bit of fun, but nothing too serious. That's again, like so that's another thing that we uh, that started here is I didn't realize trick or treat was kind of like coined in uh, in Canada. Yeah, I think it's kind of crazy, and I thought that was kind of interesting uh, to note. So let's move on from 1927 to this century. We're going to talk about 2006, uh, and 2006 was the last year that UNICEF used those little orange boxes to collect cash. See, I could have sworn I saw them recently. No, you're lying to yourself. <laughs> Maybe it was a kid with like a, a, a credit card reader. Yeah, <laughs> just quickly making his way around the neighborhood. It's like an, an NFC box, so you just tap your phone to it now. So since 1955, UNICEF has collected more than $100 million for the organization through the use of these boxes. That's a lot of money uh, in pennies. So I was kind of reading, um, I was trolling the internet, reading some message boards and uh, some Reddit threads about this. And some people were saying that they used to get scolded because they wouldn't participate in Halloween and then the box would be empty and their teacher would accuse them of stealing. Oh, man. Yeah. So like the, a couple of people had mentioned that like they uh, didn't partake in Halloween for various reasons. Some of them religious, some of them secular, uh, but that uh, they'd bring them back to school because they were banned to and they'd be empty and the, the teacher would flip out. See, I never had any kids in my class that didn't participate in Halloween. Not that I can remember. Well, I had a couple uh, of Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah. See, like, and so now I know like uh, this is, I didn't realize this was a thing until uh, I spoke to my wife who teaches uh, in elementary school and there's some kids that don't participate and it's really sad. But I, I, you know, I guess it's their parents' wishes, and I'm sure the kids uh, wouldn't have any problems participating if they could. No, exactly. Uh, and so I thought that was kind of interesting. So uh, the box was discontinued as uh, fundraising shifted from uh, in-person to digital, primarily to their website, which was easier to manage and less intensive. It'd be funny now if kids just hand out uh, websites. So like you give them a candy, <laughs> they and they just paper. hand you a, like a card with the website. And then you go choose the kid you want to go to. Perfect. I do think that this is this person-to-person model is going to be gangbusters for this organization, Angelo. I love the idea. I will. Uh, if they start doing this, look, look, tag this and date it, and people will realize I came up with the idea. You, you're looking at, to become the uh, patient zero of this humanitarian effort. I expect lots of money from you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, this is not a value judgment. UNICEF, any large organization, has an overhead budget, et cetera, et cetera. Donate locally, et cetera. Exactly. <laughs> uh, do you, so my parents actually used to save up their change during the year to shove it into the UNICEF box. We never even brought it with us Halloween night because it was already full. I don't remember. Look, it was such a long time ago. I, I, I have a hard time remembering what happened on Halloween. Finally, the last date here on our five important Canadian dates for Halloween is 2017. So last year, Statistics Canada put out a very amusing report about stats revolving around Halloween, and I picked out some of the funnier figures. So the report includes the number of kids of prime trick-or-treating age. So uh, they describe prime trick-or-treating age as being between 5 and 14 years old, so it's uh, 3.87 million children. Uh, The number of Canadian farms with pumpkin patches, 2,569. The estimated value of the casket and coffin industry, $145.7 million. I know, very morbid. So 145.7 million in 2015. And, and, you know, there's much, much more. There's also this like gigantic list. I don't know if you saw this in the middle of the report where there's like yeah. dozens of places in Canada with creepy names. It's just like pages of it. So places like Phantom Beach, Ilomal, which translates to Isle of the Dead, Ghost Lake, 
Skull Creek. So head on over to the show notes to see this amusing report that displays a perfect way that a government entity can approach a special day in the calendar year. There's some that really aren't that scary, like one called Wick and another place called Woods. That's not that scary. Well, no, that's, that's not called, true at all. Like, like Goblin. Where do you live? I live in Woods. Like, that's a little scary. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Poison Creek. Rat Rapids. These are great. I, I really urge people to take a I look at this. I feel like we should list. just, pr- I want to print this out and put this on our vision board or, or the secret board, right? Because last week we were talking about how we won one of those. Yeah. This is Tom great. Hanks, Lonely Dan Lake. Brown, a bunch of really creepy places. Perfect. Oh, look, Stardew Valley. <laughs> uh, I want to. Pumpkins are worth quite a bit in that game. Uh, you just really want to talk about this, don't you? No, it's fine. Let's, uh, let's go on to the next segment because you're planning to torture me. Double Density presents the sounds of your youth. Double Density. So I came up with a list of uh, 10 songs that uh, kind of are like spooky, scary, kind of inhabit some kind of creep factor. And what I did is that I've created a Spotify playlist. Angela has created an Apple Music playlist. So you can actually listen along uh, and go back and forth between our choices or my choices rather because I foisted this upon you and you've dealt with all this with uh, grace and aplomb largely, though we'll get into it a little bit. So um, these songs kind of like vary the gamut in between like metal and hardcore to rap, uh, instrumental, prog, uh, old school rock and roll, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I was really worried about this, and luckily, I ended up liking a lot of them. I, well, a lot I of them. I, it's like, it's like 50 you. 50. I went very easy on you, my friend. Really? Because some of them are not very easy on the ears. So, the first track I decided to uh, foist upon you is by the band Ice Nine Kills. The track is called Thank God It's Friday. It's off of the recently released Silver Scream album, where every single song has to do with a horror movie. So thank God it's Friday has to do with Friday the 13th. Very theatrical, hardcore. There's a lot of screaming, but there's a lot of like very big anthemic choruses and you didn't care for any of that at all, did you? You made me listen to this a few weeks ago. I think this was the impetus to like get this yes. thing, yeah. uh, this <laughs> yes. whole idea. Um, and the first time we li- I listened to it, I lasted 49 seconds. Now, to prepare for this show, I listened to it again and that's the whole thing. And it's apart from the horrible, horrible singing in certain parts, which is the type of singing I can't stand. What do you, what do you call that? Like the S- death screaming, scream? Yeah, the screaming, sure. Yeah. Um, getting past that, the song is actually good. So one of the fun parts is that they have like voice samples. Like they have Pamela Voorhees from the first movie in there. Oh, they do. Yeah. Where she's like, my boy died, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, that's okay. That's, I thought they, that was re-recorded. No. Uh, so something really cool about Silver Scream is on the track about The Shining, they actually have uh, Stanley Kubrick's grandson, Sam Kubrick, on vocals as a guest. Huh, interesting. I, I'll, and of course, he is screaming on there, too. I would say, like, oh, maybe I'll go and listen to this, but who am I kidding? I'm not going to listen do it. to this. Don't do it. So uh, how spooky or scary would you rate this on a, like a scale of like a zero to five skulls? Um, I'd say uh, three and a half to four skulls based on uh, the ear-splitting singing that I couldn't stand. Okay, so that's what's terrified you. Exactly. Okay, so the second track on this little list is by the Italian uh, instrumental prog band Goblin, uh, and I linked you to the theme song to the movie Suspiria by Dario Argento. Yes, I like this song a lot. It's uh, it's more, um, it's more my type of music. Uh, you, I think, like it was a few years ago. You kind of like turned me on into to John Carpenter and stuff like that. And yeah, and Goblin was definitely on there. And I. I have a playlist, and this song is on there. Of um, if you like this music of Stranger Things, you'll like these, and this song is on there. And I, I like, I like the song. I like the music from Stranger Things. Uh, really good old school synthy stuff. That uh, and this is that right. This is pure analog synth stuff. And um, I'm not sure, uh, like what the movie's from, but like I judging by the comments on the YouTube video you sent me, I'm pretty sure it's an Italian horror film because most of the comments are in Italian. You are very correct, my friend. So Dario Argento was an Italian filmmaker who often teamed up with Goblin uh, and let uh, them score his films. So apart from this, uh, he also they also did Tenebre, Phenomena, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They also scored the international version of uh, George A. Romero's Dawn of the Dead. And the thing I was thinking about this is like... Uh... Italian old school horror movie synthy music very Brian 
very well thank you i guess that's like emblematic of me and i'll i'll, I'll accept it they're also uh touring currently uh playing uh theaters in north america and they're actually um drumming up support because there's a remake of suspiria coming out so they're um playing the score to suspiria and then a set of like other songs what's that movie about uh, so this girl gets sent away to like a uh, like a, d- a dance school like a ballet school and it turns out there's like a witch's coven oh my daughter likes uh, ballet would she be interested in it uh, absolutely okay. uh, if you watched it in black and white probably okay uh, so how many skulls now the skulls does more skulls mean i like it or or less skulls mean i like it or just more skulls huh more skulls more skulls mean more i skulls like it means you like it yeah I, i'd say four a solid four skulls for this one all right uh, so the third track on here is the iconic Black Sabbath off of Black Sabbath from the band Black Sabbath. I, I've heard this song before, uh, so it wasn't really torture, but it is a little slow, this song. Like, there's a really long buildup. Um, I, you don't like the rain? What? You don't like the rain on there? The rain? Like, the beginning, the intro with the rain? It's fine. Uh, it's, it's, like, it's not my favorite Black Sabbath song. I do like how it changes up at five minutes. But the thing is, is... Listening to this and then hearing some of the other songs and the guitar work on some of the other songs, it makes me realize, okay, so people were scared of this, like easy listening compared to what it is now? Let's talk a bit about um, some of the chord progressions in there, right? Because do you know what the Devil's Tritone is? Yeah, I've heard it, and um, there's a good Adam Neely video about it, I believe. Oh, perfect. Uh, so it's the idea of the chord progression that is minor in nature and evokes certain feelings. So that's used to great effect here. And I feel like it's still effective, even though you say it, it's not. No, I, I didn't say it was not effective. I just said like, it's not anywhere near as, uh, <laughs> troubling, I guess is the word of some of the other music where this is really not, you can't like, this was the beginning of heavy metal, but right now this is considered like, like classic rock. It's not like the complicated metal that you have these days where it's like so many chord uh, progressions and things. It's it's not super complicated. It's very rooted in blues still. Right. I mean, that's kind of what it's born out of. Yeah. It, and it is like, it was much heavier than other stuff that was coming out at the time. It's just compared to some of the other things on this list, it's pretty tame. I want you to go back and listen to the Paranoid Cut electric funeral and then come back to me on this because i feel like that is the epitome of, of early heavy sabbath that actually is heavy unlike i i do agree that black sabbath could be heavier but i mean go listen to that song and, t- and take a look at that i will so uh progressing slowly but surely through the 70s i gave you a track off of the deluxe edition of 1977's self-titled suicide album uh which is a live cover of question mark and mysterion's 96 tears yeah i didn't like the song at all <laughs> I really didn't. It's not my type of music, but the fun fact is that this song brought up the Adam Neely video titled The Devil in Music. Okay. Well, there you go. You just love your YouTubers so much. I, I don't know. It's not really not my type of song. Like, I, I actually like fast forwarded through some of it because it was pretty wow, okay. boring. It's not that long either. Uh, so, uh, Suicide is a duo comprised of Alan Vega and Martin Rev. And basically, it's a keyboard and uh, vocals duo. Yeah, do I lose, like, uh, musician's cred by not liking this? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, also, something to note is that not a lot of people know this, but uh, the second track off of this album is Rocket USA, which the Smashing Pumpkins later covered. Oh, I didn't know that. See, I'm one of those yeah, people. So not a lot of people knew that. And also, they were f- the one of the first bands, or if not the first band, to, just, to self-describe as a, a punk band. Oh. It's weird, so, a punk band with, like, a keyboard. Yeah, but I mean, like, it is the epitome of punk, right? Yeah, and I didn't non-conformist. Like it. Uh, I love this. I love this duo, and basically, uh, I, I'd say like Suicide and Throbbing Gristle were really the start of a lot of like electronic music movements. That and Bruce Hack too, um, that kind of like came to be. And I think that like, uh, were it not for bands like Suicide, Nine Inch Nails perhaps wouldn't be around. See, I like Nine Inch Nails though. So you like the babies? You don't like the like the grandfathers? Yeah, exactly. Track number five on this little list is a Mike Oldfield's Tubular Bells. Okay, so this is a song everybody Oh, wait, sorry, before I forget. So, so, Suicide, how many skulls? Oh, we forgot the skulls. Like two skulls? Like one skull. Wow, you didn't find it scary at all? You didn't engage with it? You didn't think they're like... Nope, didn't like it. All right. I apologize. Uh, back to Mike Oldfield, Tubular Bells. Uh, the Exorcist theme song, ostensibly, it's the, it's the most famous usage of it, but it is actually uh, much longer oh, than man. the um, trailer. I didn't realize that it was a 25-minute song, uh, but I listened to a lot of it. I didn't listen to the whole thing. And uh, there's a part where like it switches to like a pan flute sound. 
Yeah, it kind of goes into like a villagey kind of like folky kind of feeling. Well, that's a good term because it made me think of Kakariko Village. Oh, from Zelda. Yeah. Oh, that's a. You know what? Yes, I can see that middle section kind of. That's that's a really good observation, actually. I've been listening to a lot of nerdy video game music, and it really, it really made me think of that. Uh, I'll have to make my kids listen to it actually, because they'll probably say, "Hey, is this Zelda music?" Um, and they'll say, "You'll say no, you idiots! It's The Exorcist. Yeah. We're putting The Exorcist on VHS." Now we're watching it. It's going to be playing in a loop in your rooms in the dark. <laughs> uh, that is a great way to indoctrinate your kids. Uh, overall, though, how many skulls for that first more terrifying section? Well, for the whole thing, like from what I listen to, it's it's a five five skull thing because it's Whoa. it is more than just like a. Uh, like a theme from a famous horror movie it's like it's not even a song it's a composition he's brilliant i feel like i goofed in the skulls we should have done six skulls uh for six six, six. oh man oh. brian you're fired <sighs> whatever we'll live so six out of six skulls for michael fields two blue all right six uh, this six six so and also something to note i taught you something else about this uh this is responsible for launching uh richard branson's media empire I had no idea when you said, oh, did you read the, uh, did you ever see the article with him and Richard Branson? I'm like, Richard Branson, the virgin guy? Yeah. So basically he uh, uh, built a studio and then he had heard some tapes of Michael Field's work. Um, and Michael Field was quite young. Like his first tapes were appearing like at 15, 16 years old. And uh, he was in his early 20s when he recorded all this. And he's an autodidact. And uh, he also says the funniest thing ever. Uh, here, let me pull this up in the Guardian article that we're going to link to. So this is a quote from Mike Oldfield. I had the kind of brain that remembers and absorbs things. I could remember my own birth, which resulted in panic attacks. That is the most artistic thing I've heard all week. Yeah, that that is kind of uh, crazy. A little pretentious, but crazy. Yeah. Uh, I, so yeah. Uh, what had happened is that, uh, so Oldfield finishes this up, Branson puts it out, and then Branson wants Oldfield to play this live. And uh, Oldfield uh, isn't the best on stage uh, at this point in his life. He doesn't really want to. So it's Branson, like 14 or 15. Yeah, he's like 16, 17. So uh, Branson points to a car and he says, that's yours if you do it. And so uh, Oldfield gains uh, uh, the sports car uh, in payment of uh, a live performance with uh, Steve Winfield. Uh, Steve Winwood, sorry, and uh, other uh, famous British musicians. Double density. Next up is Eminem's Kim, which caps off. It's the penultimate song on the Marshall Mathers LP from 2000. And uh, and you didn't like this at all, did you? No, it's look, it's really not my type of music at all. Uh, but you know what? You know what? You, you're one of those people who's like, I love everything, but rap no, I and country look, I can appreciate it. I understand. It's just not my. What's your favorite rap song? Well, you know what? I'm going to put a bumper in so you can figure this out. I don't have a favorite rap song. Wow. Okay. Uh, okay. I'm going to be calm. I'm going to be fine. We're going to do this. So Eminem's Kim, horrifying, horrifying, horrifying tale. It really of is. Eminem and his ex-wife and how he basically uh, murders her. So again, like I said, this is not my type of music at all, really. Uh, but the imagery is horrifying. And he can really write. Like he he knows what he's doing. And uh, it does tell a really compelling story. Like I wanted, to, even though it's not my type of music, I listen to the whole thing because it's so scary and horrifying. I know. I know. And so because of that, I gave it a five on five. Wow. Okay. You know what? I can appreciate that. The fact that you don't like it, but you can understand its merits. I, you know what? I respect you again. Well, no, but I look, was not respecting I, you before. Look, I don't listen to this t- like Tam and M or whatever, but I, I understand. Like it's not like uh, nothing drives me more insane than when everybody, anybody who says, "Oh, that takes no talent to do that." No, it does. It does. A lot. It definitely does. It just, I would love to see a lot of people try. But just because you don't like it doesn't mean the person is talentless. So Correct. I, I, have to, I come from that point of view. Again, something that bothers me a lot is when people say there's no good music these days. Makes me crazy. Moving on to song number seven, I linked you to the iconic John Carpenter composition, the Halloween theme song. Yeah, this was an easy like six on six, I guess. Uh, six on six skulls yeah because this is great and i mentioned earlier that you recommended carpenter's music to me a while ago it's because i think you were going to uh, a live show of his and yeah i saw him last november and, and this is fantastic i've listened to uh what are those called the lost anthems or whatever yeah yeah the two the albums of original compositions that could easily be movie soundtracks what i do find interesting is that so this was composed probably on analog synths so not probably for yeah. sure right but yes and this was done in the space of three days and in his more recent compositions and works, Carpenter actually uses um, the same like 
synths I use when I when I when I record <laughs> music because he uses like the presets in Logic. Uh, it's pretty funny. Like there was an article uh, because he works a lot with his son, and his son's like, "Yeah, Dad just takes a lot of the 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 pre-made ones in Logic." Like, and me too. I can't really be bothered to go and make. Uh, any sort of uh, special synths for myself. Like I'll tweak the settings, but I'm probably always going to start with the uh, presets because they're actually really good. Six out of six skulls here for John Carpenter's Halloween theme. Two things to note. The first one is that, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross covered this last year. No way. It is a seven minute composition. It is freaking awesome. And also I've had the chance of listening to John Carpenter's newest soundtrack for the new Halloween out there, the David Gordon Green one. And it is really good. Just don't stare at the track names if you plan on seeing the movie. Uh, yeah. This person gets killed. It's like... <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like lament for whatever, right? It's like when, um, when I worked at a, a music store and we got the soundtrack for Star Wars Episode One, and one of the tracks is called Qui-Gon's Funeral. Thanks. Well, gee, there you go. Uh, but you weren't on like the, the fan pages, like nerding it up? For Star Wars? Yeah. No, not really. Not really. No, I, I went to see it like three times in the theater because I was stupid. But... Um, well, you don't know any better. When you don't know what's coming down the pipeline, you don't know any yeah, better. Yeah. Now, like, I compare that to, like, The Last Jedi. And oh, even night and day. even with some of the bad stuff in The Last Jedi, with the, not that it was bad. It's just compared to the rest of the movie. Uh, but, like, even the worst scene in The Last Jedi is, like, the best scene of Star Wars Episode One. I'd agree with that assessment uh, very easily, my friend. Moving on. Uh, so this is two tracks put into one. So these are the first tracks off of 2000's uh, Jane Doe album uh, by the band Converge. So the track Concubine and the track Fulton Fracture. Okay. So this <laughs> uh, basically, I, so I started this and within a few seconds, I'm like, nope. Uh, so the first track, the first part of it was 16 seconds I lasted. Uh, okay. The second one, I made it 20 seconds. And uh, what a mess. That's all I can say. So I feel so the first track I hear it in my head, and I feel like it's just when uh, vocalist Jake Bannon starts doing his like barking. Can you call him a vocalist? Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's terrible. I will send you. So I will send you a song called Retro World, where there's like clean singing, and it's quite slow, and it's very enjoyable, uh, comparatively speaking. Uh, I guess in your world. Uh, so yeah, these are the first two tracks, and they combine them to make one uh, music video back in the day. I did not like this uh, so much so that the skulls have become a person again, and it's like negative six. Whoa, okay. Um, what about it, Dingy? Like, because I feel like it's very aggressive, abrasive, kind of very scary. Like the the barking. Well, there we go. Exactly, exactly fear. that. Uh, it's 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 abrasive to me. I can't really. Whereas, like Eminem, even though it's not my type of music, I can listen to it because he's doing something that, even though it's like I said, not my favorite type of music, I can enjoy. Well, and <laughs> that song Kim is not something that's enjoyable but it's compelling. This, I wasn't compelled to continue listening to it. The power of Christ did not compel me. All right, so that's fair. Uh, extreme music just isn't for you, I guess. No, because now uh, the next one. So we're going to talk about Mystery Ministry's Just One Fix, which I love. So it's kind of like a, a classic industrial music about uh, drugs, right? Because uh, the first sample is a slowed-down drug addict from a documentary screaming, give me some Thorazine. And then uh, right before the main riff hits, uh, someone kind of yells out, never trust a junkie. Yeah, and uh, it's better than the previous songs, uh, for sure, like the than the Converge songs, uh, way better than that, but it's still a little too heavy for me. Really? I found it very easy to like enjoy. Yeah. My, my issue is that I like I like heavy music. I like heavy, comp, like uh, complicated uh, music, whatever. I like that stuff. I like prog rock, but I like it when the singing's clean, so... Like, thank you, scientists. And you also like right? it when a woman sings it more. What? You also like it when a woman sings more. Oh, yeah, for sure. I do have a preference uh, to the female voice versus the male. But, like, for example, lately I've been listening to a lot of thank you, scientists. I find his voice really smooth and easy to listen to, Where, but the music in the background is super complex. Uh, lots of heavy guitars as well, but nothing like this. Uh, but thank you, scientists is a weird band, I would say. Uh, wouldn't you agree? They're also not on this list. No, they're not so. on this list, but I'm just bringing up something I like. Sue me. <laughs> uh, so how many skulls would you give Al Jurgensen and his merry band of industrial, in, industrialists? Very uh, middle of the road, three on five. Three on five skulls. All right. Yeah. Uh, the last official track on this uh, list of tracks is the Casey Strain's uh, intro track Beast off of a 2000 Times of Warm Wood. I'm laughing because I, I just saw the notes I put. I forgot that I wrote that. 
Do you often amuse yourself? I do. I do. Uh, so uh, what do you think of this? So I wrote the notes I wrote, uh, Ugh, that's singing. How can you listen to this? And really, I, that... I don't get it. I do not get it. The music is actually fine. It's, it's heavy, but it's, it's fine. Or is that? No, no, that's, that's the next, the bonus one. Uh, but like, the music is fine for this one, right? It's like regular metal. Uh, but right. the singing, it's, I can't get it. I yeah. don't get it. So, uh, firstly, how dare you talk about Vincent Bennett like that? He's a nice man. He loves playing video games and smoking marijuana. Uh, he's also freakishly tall. It's very weird to see live, and I've seen this band live a couple of times. Like freakishly uh, tall, like basketball tall? Yeah, like six foot something something. Okay. So the intro uh, speech is by a member of the Manson family to add some eeriness to it. And also I was pointing this out. I don't know if you did it, but if you head on over to YouTube, for example, and you play this song at 1.5 times, it's actually way bouncier and more fun. I didn't actually get the chance to do that. I kind of forgot. It's kind of amazing. Okay, I'll have to do that um, tomorrow, maybe. Uh, but you didn't find any of the song like terrifying about the idea of like, my life is a shooting range? Oh, I couldn't understand what he was saying. People will never feel the same now? Okay, all right. I, well, I, I couldn't understand. But anyway, it, it was, like, again, like the previous one, like, very middle of the road. It was in- So what you're telling me, what you're telling me, basically, is that you wouldn't want to form an Casey Strain cover band with me. No, no, I won't be doing that, Brian. Uh, it's, it's, again, middle of the road. Like, it's not super bad, but not super good. It's just, like, two and a half to three skulls. All right, fair enough. I we, definitely in difference of opinion here because I thought these were all bangers, and I included a bonus oh track slash album. The bonus uh, track, Brian, <laughs> uh, by the band Pig Destroyer. Great name. So is this what you would call like uh, speed grindcore. metal? Yeah, I call it grindcore. Yeah, grindcore. Uh, I did literally laugh out loud uh, with the Stephen Hawking voice saying, "Licking at her eyeballs as if they were sugar cubes." Um, really, really weird. <laughs> My note to this is this sounds like someone sped up speed metal. <laughs> so this is out from Relapse Records, and they actually put the entire album as one track on YouTube, which was cool of them. Uh, so this is a reissue of uh, one of the early albums, Prowler in the Yard. It's a really great album in my estimation. It's a mixture of quotes uh, of that Stephen Hawking's-like voice, as well as like very short bursts of music and a grindcore style. And we'll go ahead and uh, link to that in the show notes. But basically, it's 23 tracks and clocks in at like 40-ish minutes. It's impressive how fast they play. Because it does sound like somebody sped something up, but obviously they haven't. But uh, the drummer must be exhausted. Even, I mean, everybody. Like, I, I can't understand playing bass on that. If I wanted to form a Pig Destroyer tribute band, you wouldn't want to do that, right? No, thank you. I will stick to jazz. Uh, so Scott Hull is kind of like the main man behind this. Scott Hull? I've, I'm Hull, oh. H-U-L-L. <laughs> I was yeah, like, no, wow. No, not Razor Ramon. Jeez, that'd be pretty Accused cool. killer Razor Ramon. Uh, but yeah, uh, Scott Hall is also in uh, a Gorefork Nosebleed, which I know that you love. I love the name. And uh, a word, a series of words that I feel uncomfortable saying on this podcast, but they're a reference to um, uh, your bottom, the back part, and then a lady's parts for the front part. Huh. I'll, I'll, I'll let you figure that out. You can go ahead and easily Google what that is. I don't feel comfortable saying this. But another really cool thing is that uh, we've got a pair of brothers in this band. Okay. So Adam Jarvis, you're talking about the drummer, uh, is in there as well as John Jarvis playing bass. So John Jarvis is also in a band called Scour with Phil Anselmo of Pantera. Oh, well, that, that's a name uh, I know. So boom goes the dynamite, my friend. <laughs> boom it goes. So I'd like to know people's opinions on this, right? Because I am a fan of all forms of music. Uh, I'd say my the tastes run much wider than yours. And my and, tastes uh, run wide. Yeah, but you also like your favorite band is Imagine Dragons. So. No, it is not. I don't like Imagine Dragons. Top three. Stop. Don't Top do three. that. Don't do that. That <laughs> is very rude. How do you feel about Greta Van Fleet? I, so I, I downloaded the album. I listened to some of it. Honestly, if you're not really listening carefully, you're going to think it's Led Zeppelin. Oh, for sure. It's but it's really ridiculous that it how much. Did you read that like one point six uh, uh, Pitchfork review? About the band? You sent it to me. I didn't read the whole thing. Okay. I, I okay. just kind of like got 1.6. But look, I don't hold much stock in reviews because one of my favorite albums was like Destroyed by Rolling Stone. Uh, which is? Which is Eight Arms to Hold You by Veruca Salt. Of course, a great album. I know. I love that album. But uh, Rolling Stone gave it such a bad review. And I remember uh, wondering what the point of reviews was. So, and I don't really put much stock in music reviews. I find music reviewers are really pretentious. 
and irritating. They are indeed. So, but yeah, I'm kind of curious what everyone's opinions on these songs are. Did you make it through one? Did you make it through two? Did you make it through ten? Did you hit up the bonus Pig Destroyer album in the show notes? If so, uh, please let me know. I would love uh, to chat with you about all things extreme. Angelo, I feel like this uh, is a good place to end episode 79 of the Double Density Podcast. And before I do that, I want you to go ahead... Put on your Halloween costume, head on out there with your kids, trick or treat a bit. What are you dressing up as? I know what you're going to dress up as, but I want you to tell everyone. I am going to be Mario. And my son's going to be son? uh, Yoshi. Uh, his Yoshi costume is pretty awesome. He actually has a pair of Uggs from my daughter that she outgrew but fit him. And they really perfectly match what Yoshi's boots look like. And my daughter is going to be Hermione. From and what is Harry your Potter wife? Books going to dress up as. she's not quite sure yet uh she has like a snow white outfit that she wore that looks it, it looks really weird seeing my wife with a black haired wig on uh because she has red hair and it's very odd to see her with the snow white wig uh she's still not quite sure what she's gonna dress up as though Okay, fair enough. And so everyone who wants to go ahead and converse about all things Halloween, all things music, please go ahead and, uh, you know, hit us up on Twitter, double underscore density, facebook.com slash double density podcast. Same thing on Instagram. Head on over to double density done it. Click on the contact button and uh, let us know your thoughts, your feelings about all of this. Uh, did you enjoy the music? What kind of scary music are you into? Um, and I just want to make a quick note. I tried to pick as many songs as possible because I know of a lot of like different um, soundscapes that could have worked here, but I felt like composition music was better suited for this. I Look, I... Even though I didn't like some of these songs, I enjoyed the task of going through some of them. Most so all of them if actually. I if I if I mailed you like a converged seven inch, you just wouldn't listen to it. Mm, I wouldn't have a place to listen to it. Can, does that go into my Mac? Yeah, it, it could if you wanted to. You go ahead and try that. And ruin your new Mac. Yeah, it's not even new anymore. You know what? Uh, <laughs> as this episode New-ish. goes out, uh, my Apple Care runs out and the warranty's done. I can't believe I so had this thing. The most years. haunting thing. You've literally waited till the last second to talk about the most haunting thing here. It's true. I didn't say it's true. I should have mentioned that. My <laughs> my uh, Apple Care literally runs out this week. Uh, so watch out, everyone. Uh, make sure that you don't get haunted or ghouls don't come upon you. Make sure that you keep the undead at bay. And tune in next week as we get into the surprisingly satanic origins behind Shoots and Ladders. See you, Angelo. See you next week. Drunk little child. You ruined my segue. No, but I was going to go into it. Misunderstanding.